Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Quarterly Report. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, and we've got another fantastic show for you this week. My guy, one of my favorite guests that we've ever had on the show, Troy Halliburton, is returning to discuss so much music, sports, wizards, and of course, the John Wall picture. All that, plus one of the most groundbreaking television shows in recent history, at least. The wheels are starting to fall off, and is it time that we call it an end for a short-lived but monumental series. We're going to touch on that and so much more coming up. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. We are literally just right around the corner from the start of the NFL season. And there's a, there's a buzz, at least in the D.C. area, that the NFL is almost back. Oh! I should have known. Did somebody just say NFL? Ah, those letters are quickly becoming my three favorite. You know, the K's had a mighty long run, but it's time for a change. Ah, devil. Long time no see. Man, I'm looking and feeling better, healthier. Overall, I'm just living a better life when you're not around, bro. Don't think for a second I'm not around. Oh, quite the contrary. You Americans have kept me quite busy recently. So... I wanted to play devil's advocate for none other than America's team and that the Cowboys were right to publicly bash Des Bryant during training camp. Devil's advocate for the Cowboys publicly shaming Des Bryant, huh? Alright, we can do this. Look, I don't think I'm breaking any news here by saying that Des Bryant is not the player that he once was. Dez is what, pushing 30? You know, in the NFL, man, the lifespan is short. In Dez, we saw him as an elite wide receiver. Then we saw him as a big-name wide receiver who can still make uh, spectacular plays and get you in a a, a big-time situation. Clutch plays, if you will. But as the game evolved and his team around him evolved, Dez's ego and his pride didn't, meaning all the headaches that Dez Bryant brings to the table, and let's keep it funky, he brings his share, his fair share, the talent didn't erase it anymore. His talent doesn't match up with the headaches. So yeah, you know, Dallas, they did what they felt they needed to do, right? They moved on. What happened with Tony Rowe? And look, make no mistake. The Tony Romo injury and then moving from Romo, an established veteran, an elite quarterback to Dak Prescott, yes, that negatively impacted Dez's production. Let's not make any mistake. However, that's the reality of the situation. Tony Romo's not playing in Dallas. He's not playing anymore. His career is over. Dak Prescott is still being built as the future, the future and the present. So if Dak and Dez don't, mesh they're not clicking right if it's not working between them of course the cowboys are going to go beside with the young quarterback over des of course that's going to happen look what i have suggested the joneses and the cowboys publicly 
go after Dez the way they did? No. But if you're asking me, were they out of line? If they're out of bounds, they were asking the, they were answering a question. And the fact of the matter is, Des Bryant does not have a job. There's a reason why he doesn't have a job. And honestly, if we're going to be 100% honest, him responding on Twitter the way he did, that's probably not going to help him get a job either. So could the Cowboys have handled their situation differently? Of course they could. But they're the Cowboys. They have no tact. We know this. We've, we've known this for decades now. And the Cowboys are operating from a position of power. We know this, especially in the NFL. So Dez reacted, and unfortunately, although he may have been well within his right to respond to criticism that he did not start, that he did not instigate, his response only adds more fuel to the fire. We're seeing it here in D.C. We see it all over the place. When someone has, when people have a perception of you, it's hard to break. Unfortunately for Dez, the perception is he's a head case. He's not worth the trouble. And this only adds to that narrative, unfortunately, although Dez didn't do anything wrong. Okay, we have to make a deal, all right? That's the last time I'm playing devil's advocate for Jerry Jones, though. Oh, <laughs> you want to make a deal with the devil, do you? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Nah, Joe, I'm not trying to make a deal with the devil, bro. What are you talking about? You know what? Matter of fact, the wire taught me well, bro. No. Now that he's gone, let me keep it all the way funky with y'all, man. Dez Bryant, man, salute to Dez Bryant, Joe. I couldn't. The Cowboys wanted to rid themselves of Dez. So why are they still talking about him? That is a simple question, right? We have seen the Cowboys sidestep and elude all types of conversations, all types of questions in recent history. So you mean to tell me if someone's asking about Dak and Dez's name is mentioned that either of the Joneses couldn't say, you know what? We're focused on the 80 some odd players who are here now. We're focused on getting this roster down to 53 and the men who are going to help us win another Vince Lombardi trophy. That's all they had to say. They didn't have to say anything about this. They didn't have to say anything about Witten or anybody who's not playing for the Cowboys. Because honestly, what good does that do? And yeah, I feel for Dez, man, because like I did say when I was playing devil's advocate, unfortunately, Dez sticking up for himself. Y'all know how things go with in the NFL in these circles. Even though he was completely in the right to defend himself that's going to come back as a negative on him. I don't know how good Des Bryant is anymore. In fact, I'd probably be willing to bet that he's not, he's not very good. But that doesn't mean that you, that teams have free right to just bash a dude who's not even doing anything. Des Bryant hasn't said anything about the Cowboys this offseason, but prior to the criticism and another thing and. You know, we can't not bring this up, right? Sean Lee and the Cowboys were talking about how Dez has a negative influence and all this other stuff. And this is the issue when it comes to not just the Cowboys, but the NFL as a whole, right? 
because you don't have to go that far to find or to trace the NFL and the Cowboys specifically wrapping their arms around men who beat women. Sean Lee's talking about how Dez Bryant, right, has a negative influence on the team and, you know, he's all these other things, right? But Sean Lee just a few years ago was talking about how Greg Hardy was a positive influence and he's a his passion is positive for the, the locker room and he's not a problem in the locker room. Greg Hardy, after he was convicted of domestic violence, okay? I don't want to hear about Tom Brady and Deflategate when, you know, Josh Brown keeps his job for beating his woman, you know, journaling, journaling his domestic violence, having the NFL and league officials having to, to protect his wife and child while at the Pro Bowl. You feel me? We have Josh Gordon, who's dealing with addiction to marijuana. The NFL pumps these guys with all types of opioids. We're living in this quote-unquote opioid crisis, right? All these painkillers that these players are getting from the teams. Josh Gordon gets suspended for a full year for marijuana use. Meanwhile, right? Jameis Winston has several accusations of sexual and physical assault on his record. He's the face of a franchise that got a three-game suspension after working with the NFL. You feel me? Ray Rice beat his wife. Ray Rice got caught dragging his wife's unconscious body out of an elevator. The NFL wanted to give him what? Three games, Colin Kaepernick hasn't played in years. So that's the issue with the NFL, right? That's the issue with the Cowboys. Anytime the league takes a, a, a hard stance, you don't have to play six degrees of separation to find out, yo, man, why are you guys so soft on domestic violence yet so hard on all these other issues? The NFL they are waging wars, several different wars, and they're doing it in, in fights that they have to know they can't win. They're fighting, they're fighting a war where they're siding with opioids in this day and age. They're fighting a war against medical marijuana in this day and age. And for whatever reason, you can draw whatever, you know, you can make whatever conclusions you want, they haven't yet they haven't yet out of decency or out of just intelligence realized that yo employing men who beat women is such an awful position to take yet they continue to find themselves siding and trying to cop deals with men who beat women like slim what I say this over and over again, man. We just saw one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. In fact, three of the last four Super Bowls have been all-time greats. Yet the NFL just can't stay out of its own way. Sean Lee. When I saw Sean Lee make that quote about this, I jumped, because this is the thing, right? As our 
baseball brothers and sisters have uh, noticed in weeks past. The search, the search function on Twitter, it's undefeated. So, because I, I, I remember, vaguely remembered, Sean Lee saying something in support of Greg Hardy. So, as soon as I saw Sean Lee go on camera and talk slick to Dez, go on my uh, trusty tablet, go on Twitter, Sean Lee, Greg Hardy, and boom. I don't have the quote in front of me to read it verbatim, but you at home, you in your car, you at work, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go ahead. I, I, I encourage you to do the same thing. Sean Lee, Greg Hardy. And you'll see. Supportive of a monster. Of an absolute monster. Jerry Jones, supportive of a monster. The NFL, man, they need to wash their face, bro, because they, they, they need, they're just completely surrounded by trash, bro. Trash individuals, trash owners, trash players, advisors, endorsers. We love the game of football, but damn, the NFL makes it so hard. All right, guys, that was the first quarter. Had to shake the devil off, man. Keep them down in the hole. Shout out to the wire. If you enjoy that segment, if you want to have your own devil's advocate topic, you want to suggest something to me, make sure you go on Twitter. Tweet at the show, quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Or email us at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. We love to hear your advice, your thoughts, your topic, your suggestions. Get involved with the show because I promise you, you make it that much better. I really appreciate each and every one of you guys listening and getting involved with the show. All right, guys, that was the first quarter, but you know things. We keep it moving here on the quarterly report. So we're going to step outside of the sporting world and into the world of entertainment, specifically television, with our second topic this week. One of my favorite things to do on this show is to talk about topics outside of sports. You know what I mean? I love sports, clearly. I've devoted a show, essentially, to sports. But I feel the show is sometimes is at its best. And a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from you all tends to kind of align with this sentiment. That when we talk about things outside of the sports world, it kind of it, it, it enhances the show. And I, and I love to hear that. And I'm glad that it resonates with you guys because this is something that I enjoy talking as well. And in that same spirit, uh, a show that was groundbreaking, that is groundbreaking, unfortunately seems to be on its last legs. And that show is blackish. I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about the show, I, I was kind of, eh, you know, because blackish was around the time with Empire. And I felt like without seeing any of these shows, some of the, 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 the ads and it felt like it was pandering to an idea of black culture, but not actually black culture. You, you understand what I'm saying? There are a lot of shows, and especially on over the air, like broadcast network shows, there isn't a lot of equity that has been built up into making an African-American such as myself comfortable in the direction of some of these shows because it doesn't feel like it's authentic. But Blackish absolutely was, right? And it was a breath of fresh air for me and a lot of people who feel this way. You don't get to see usually a black family succeeding, but not on some pretense of what 
a family should look like or should be. You know what I mean? The dynamics of this family resonated with a lot of people, not because they were wealthy and they were kind of showing, setting an example of how you should, but because they showed its flaws and still maintain a high level of comedic value. Like, I don't want to talk. I, I'm not comparing this show to the Cosby's. Obviously, different generations, uh, different dynamics involved. But there are some parallels there. And while in the 80s, the Cosby's, the show, took the responsibility of being like, hey, black families are successful too. Black families are just like your families, right? And didn't necessarily dive in too deeply into social and, uh, you know, racial lines of, of, of the day. Blackish has met that task head on without fearing the, the, the criticism that comes along with it. Like the Johnson's family, while very successful, still is relatable, right? Their family, their family dynamic is built a lot like people who are just around the way. There's a relatable side to that show. And again, it was a breath of fresh air because I know a lot of people feel like felt like I did. I was skeptical of the show. Like ABC doing a show called Blackish. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not trying to see you know what I mean? Because we as a community have been burned in the past by over, you know, broadcast networks doing a show that supposedly caters to us, right? Another reason why the show resonates with me is because it ruffles so many feathers just by its, just by existing, you know, and they didn't shy away from it. You know what I mean? Like there were so many people who were like blackish. Oh my god, this is rich racist show right and it's it's funny quick aside because i'm gonna I'm get back to why black is just in danger and why i think the writing is on the wall but anytime people get to, like we in this country a country that has clear racial divides not just black and white but with the latino community the asian community the white everything right you would think in a country that prides itself in being a melting pot, which America absolutely is, you would think we would be so much better at just discussing race. We get so uncomfortable just when the term race is mentioned, right? Just because there is a show called Blackish or just because Fresh Off the Boat exists or the Goldbergs or Will and Grace, what have you, doesn't mean that everybody needs to freak out. Yeah, you know, fresh off the boat is funny. I'm not Asian. I enjoy the show. I know people who love Will and Grace who are heterosexual. That's great. White people can enjoy blackish. That absolute that works. That's that's actually part of the goal, right? To look at other shows and be like, hey, that's like us. You know, this dynamic isn't so unique and so different. But there's so many people. I remember when the show first came out. And one of the reasons why, I ain't going to lie. One of the reasons why I started watching Blackish initially, because I wasn't even a huge Anthony Anderson fan. Like some of the movies that I've seen in stand-ups before, way, way in the back. I never was a fan of that. So, again, I was meeting it with the side eye. 
But I gave it a sh- I gave it. I was like, boom, I'm gonna ride with it anyway. May for in, in many reasons why it was because so many people got so upset just by the name. And I've always wanted to tell these people, right, who freak out about calling everything, you know, like, oh my god, black is just a racist show, fresh out the boat. That's right, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's human nature. So I always want to tell these people, and you listening at home where I work on the car, I'd love for you to participate in this brief kind of experiment, if you will, right? Name your five best friends, your five favorite movies, your five favorite television shows, your five favorite albums, and your five favorite songs or musical acts. So your five favorite albums and your five favorite musical groups or performers, whatever the case. That's a total of 25 possible answers. I'm assuming most of us, most of those answers for most of us are going to be, are going to result in answers that are like us. If I went through the, my 25, just off the top of my head, I haven't sat down and done it, but at least 20, at the 20 to 22 of them, are going to be African-American dominated or African-American answers, right? Either the, the television shows or the movies are going to be predominantly African-American cast and crew. And, you know, I've got friends who aren't, some of my best friends aren't, you know, I've got a few, you know what I mean? But, You get my point. That doesn't make me racist, right? It makes me a human. Every single scientific experiment, data point, suggests that people gravitate to people who look like them, right? Have shared experiences as they do. And in this country, right, unfortunately, you can can learn a lot about someone and their upbringing and their experiences, whether it's in school or how their community was, or I mean, I, were, I was reading an article the other day and they were like, you could put in like a, it was a nutritionist. And she was saying, I can know every almost everything I need to know about someone's nutrition and, and where they eat just by their zip code. Right. Because some zip code, some areas, they've got all these fresh organic grocery stores and their restaurants are fresh and then other people. You go down and you have to, you really have to search and dig for something that's not a chain restaurant or, a, you know, a, a carryout store, right? You could tell a lot about someone's public education just by the zip code. We know this. This is, this is a reality in our society. Depending on where you are born or where you live, which has everything to do with how much money you make, you can learn about your schools, your hospitals, your police department, I mean, the, the whole nine. So shared experiences have almost everything to do with your racial background. And we know as humans, people relate to shared experiences. So if you're a white person, and of all those 25 questions, 23 of them result in uh, an answer with white people or a show or a movie that's predominantly white, that's okay. That doesn't mean you're racist. Same way if you're Asian and you answer that question and you're 25 or 25 or if you're Latino, whatever the case may be, that's fine. That's just human nature. And yes, I do know there are people out there, if you're black, maybe the majority of your answers aren't a black show, right? Or white or Asian, whatever the case may be. I understand that. But I also think that we know the majority of the people, if we're being honest, right? You're going to answer 
with movies and albums and artists and friends that look like you. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, the biggest, when people, when I hear people say, hey, man, I don't see race. I don't trust them as far as I could throw them off rip because there's no need for you to lie about something so, so harmless. People who say, oh, man, I don't, I don't see race. I'm like, bro, why are you lying? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with seeing race. In fact, that's dope. We should embrace it. Like, what's wrong with that? Which gets me back to my overall point. Black is the show, man. I, I Again, I, I was skeptical at first. And then it won me over instantly. I fell in love with that show because not only was it kind of, hey, you know, we exist. But it wasn't pandering. And it was real. And it was funny as hell. You can't come out in 2015 or 14 when any of this show started trying to do the Cosby thing in 88 and 87. It wasn't going to work. And that show, man, second and third seasons, man, they hit the ground running. Hell, this past season, this season premiere, they did a show on Juneteenth. Juneteenth! Think about that. ABC had a show about Juneteenth. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? How impactful and how powerful that is? And it wasn't on some... It was, it was still funny. That's the thing. They could they tackled serious issues while still being funny. It's not easy. But unfortunately, I think that Blackish's time and it's and it's been it's been dope, but man, I, I I'm not confident that it has much more. Just in the last year, just in the last year, look at all the things that has happened regarding this show. Most notably, creator I want to say he's the writer producer as well Kenya Barris I believe Barris maybe is Barris but I think it's Barris he and ABC execs they butted heads over an episode that never aired that was focused in in a small part or small degree I don't know because I've never seen the episode right about the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and the protest for equality ABC was like, they started meddling with the script and like saying they didn't want this and that. And they just agreed not to ever show it. And that was like the first crack in the armor, right? Then we moved on to Tracy Ellis Ross and her salary with the show, which kind of is crazy when you think about the show. Blackish being a show that's kind of positioned into being about, um, you know, representation and, you know, the lead actress who has won an Emmy. She's not getting paid as much as the lead. And it, it, apparently it's a significant gap. So then you start going like, well, well, how is that happening? Right. Speaking of Anthony Anderson, he's now got another, you know, allegation of sexual assault. He has a past of this. This happened recently. You know what I mean? Came to light in a matter of months. And now, in my opinion, the last straw, aforementioned uh, Barris, the creator, writer of the show, he's exiting ABC. He's got a new deal with Netflix and, you know, he's gone. 
Now, he says that there's no hard feelings and there's still respect and he's still going to be a part of the show. But come on now. We know what this means. Like I said, the writing is on the wall. And if we're going to be honest, I felt like the show kind of dropped off a bit last year. Like, let's be all the way honest. Dronish was better than Blackish last season. Dronish is a spinoff that Barris created with one of the children, similar to Cosby, a different world, blackish to grownish. His oldest child, daughter, goes off to college and he talks about her experience as a freshman, yada, yada, yada. It was a dope show and in my opinion was better than blackish. That show was supposed to be on ABC, but they moved it to ABC sister station Freeform. I don't even know if all y'all even have Freeform or even know where that, that channel is on the dial. All that to say, that ship is leaking a lot of water. It's carrying a lot of water on it, right? And the product, in my opinion, suffered for it. I don't know how we will remember the show Blackish Man, but I do know that I have thoroughly enjoyed the show, and hopefully it has reached a certain number of episodes that it's in syndication. But sometimes it's, it's, it's important to leave before they force you out. You know what I'm saying? Leave while you still have gas in the tank as opposed to when you got to yawn E and you got to push that joint for the next gas station until they until they got to tell you about it there. Because Blackish has been so important and you look at shows and I'm not saying that Blackish was the thing that opened the floodgates, but it played a part in showing that, you know, we are just like everybody else. You know, we've got our own insecurities. Like, one of the things I love the most about Black is that it showed real live black people as fully developed individuals, right? You know how many times I've turned on a television show and the black man is ultra aggressive and he's always the woman, he's, he's the ladies man and he's the super athletic guy. Like, that's cool. We ain't all like that, though. In fact... Even the guys who are like that, they have other sides of them as well. Every single black woman you see on the on the over the broadcast channel, sassy, talking out her neck, you know, quick to clap back and talk. You know what I'm saying? All this other stuff. And nah, every black woman's not like that. Junior is a nerd, <laughs> which is dope. He's not athletic. You know, Zoe is the social butterfly with no attitude and, you know what I mean, doesn't really get angry. It, like, it showed dimensions. And, and it wasn't just Blackish. It kind of, to me, I look at Blackish as one of the first. But then you see Insecure or This Is Us. And you see all these episodes, Queen Sugar, all these shows showing black people as fully developed characters, fully developed people. And it's not just with us. Fresh off the boat I mentioned earlier, right? You have these shows where the the Asian family, they don't have a kung fu background. You know what I'm saying? Every other time you look at an Asian family, somebody's got to be a fighter. No, they're just like us too. And that type of stuff is important, and, and I appreciate Blackish so much for that. But even in my appreciation of the show, I feel like, yo, they've done a lot. They've done a lot. And I don't want to see the show carried off the field. Right? Walk out 
with your hands held high. Don't be forced out, man. Because that show is, no matter how it ends, that show is always going to have a place in my heart because of its importance and because of what it tried to do and, in my opinion, perfected it. All right, guys. That's the first half you heard the horn. As always, get involved with the show. Are you a fan of Blackish? Are you, or do you think I'm pulling the plug a little bit too early? Do you think that you like the last season and think that they've got several more seasons to go? Hit me up. Or if you agree with me and want to kind of echo my same sentiment, as always, tweets are open, emails are open to you all, the fans. Hit me up on email at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at me at quarterlyshow, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show on Twitter. So sticking with ABC in their sitcoms, maybe Blackish is on its last leg. So... As we have done in months past, we have exclusive behind-the-scenes audio of executives at ABC trying to discuss how they will fill the void of Blackish if the show does move on out of here. So, without further ado, let's take a listen to executives inside ABC Studios trying to fill the void as only network broadcasting television stations would do. All right, guys, thanks for all attending this meeting short notice. We may be needing a blackish replacement soon. I call it <laughs> Operation Wokish. <laughs> okay. So, I've brought all of you top execs in to pitch your best replacement. And, guys, let me introduce you all to our new great team for sensitivity and diversity. This group will really help us tap into an ever changing demographic. Ladies and gentlemen, our team, DeAndre. Uh, am I really the only one in this diversity and sensitivity team? Whatever. Hello, guys. Of course you are, sport. All right, now, keep quiet. Shh, we're in a meeting. All right, guys, give me your best pitches now. All right, I've got one. How about this? A single black mother in the mean streets of Chirac. That's a nickname for Chicago, by the way. <laughs> juggles raising a family by day and policing at night the title family matters what about chicago wait what and we've already signed scarlett johansson to play the lead no in fact no that's a big no what how is this even a suggestion deandre what's wrong with that it's got great potential. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is white. Okay, the problem is... You want a white woman to play the role of a single black mother? Not to mention the What About Chicago subtitle. Come on. Also, is this supposed to be a comedy? Matter of fact, I can't get off the fact that Scarlett Johansson is playing a black woman. Well, if it makes you feel any better... She specializes in playing other races. You know what? Mate, forget it. I'm out of here. Well, I wonder what's gotten into him. I guess they really do have bad tempers, huh? Alright. Anyway, any more suggestions? I really love the idea of the English chef dropping into random cultures suggesting he can cook their native foods better than them. Obviously, we like to have fun here on Halftime and on the Quarterly Report, but I truly feel that the real-life board meetings when it comes to pitching show ideas and casting, 
it, it doesn't veer too far off from that example from halftime, right? Because how many times have you watched a television show or saw a movie or any type of new project get released? And you just think to yourself, you look at your friends or whatever, and you're like, yo, who, who came up with that idea, right? I just feel like this stuff happens. A lot. They're remaking ALF. <laughs> you feel me? Uh, Scarlett Johansson has played an Asian woman. She's playing a trans woman. It's only a matter of time. Right? Who who comes up with these ideas? Anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed halftime as much as I did making it. But you know what? We're only looking forward. We've got two quarters left to make this a great show. And we're going to continue the show, episode 67, with my guest this week, friend of the program, Troy Halliburton. Third quarter. He's one of my favorite guests that we have on the show. And his last appearance, man, was definitely one of the most downloaded and most popular episodes that we had. So, of course, I had to run it back with my guy, Troy Halliburton. Troy, what's going on, man? And thank you for joining me this week on The Quarterly Report. Armand, how you doing, man? I'm so glad to be back on the podcast, man. This is a true pleasure of mine. So, anytime you can call about Nah, time, nah, the pleasure's all mine, bro. Make sure you guys check out Troy, all his work. He's a contributor at truthaboutit.net. His most recent piece is about the Dwight Howard press conference, right, that had the entire area shook. He clearly won the press conference, but there's a lot of other stuff that you want to know about Dwight Howard and his offseason. Make sure you check out that latest piece from Troy on truthaboutit.net, and make sure you follow my guy Troy on Twitter at Troy Halliburr. That's H-A-L-I-B-U-R. Again, that's on Twitter, Troy Halliburr. And Troy, we're going to start with the local team. One of the issues I find myself running into releasing a pod on Thursday is that there's so much stuff that either happens Thursday night or Friday that I couldn't get into on the most recent pod. And last week was a perfect example because I what was a Friday. Team USA and the Wizards, Wizards retweeted it, this image of John Wall, and it shut down the entire timeline, at least for me. It was so... I don't know. Bizarre isn't the word, but it was funny. I can't lie. I'm a huge John Wall fan, but it was funny, and we all got our laughs off. Um, it's clear John uh, has enjoyed his offseason. You know what I'm saying? And the context is that, you know, John has struggled with his weight throughout his entire career. So looking at the picture, and we'll discuss it a little bit more and how, at least in my opinion, things kind of went left. Initially, when you saw the picture and you saw John's, you know, his weight issues or whatever, do you think it's a big deal or do you think it's not a big deal that he's put on an extra LBs? Well, uh, that's kind of interesting. I, I, I like the way you went with that question. I think it, it's a deal, not a big deal with his weight, because I think that honestly his weight has fluctuated since he's been in the NBA and he's had several uh like end of season media exit availability where he said, you know, I plan on getting into the best shape of my life this summer. And, yeah. you know, it, it's one thing Like I feel like as a professional athlete, you know, as part of your job description, the number one thing is making sure that your body is always in tip top shape. Yeah. And so I think that with John, like when we look at, he keeps having these, you know, these, I guess you can call it chronic knee injuries at this point where he seems to be having surgery, you know, almost every other season. I think that a part of that has to do with not being able to control his weight and not being in the best shape and probably overcompensating for, you know, some some of that. So I don't I think it's a deal. I don't I wouldn't think it's like a huge deal. 
where I'm like, you know, worried about the guy. And I do think that he, over the last few years, he has been very proactive with, you know, trying to get his weight down, trying to keep his weight down, and trying to make sure that he's coming in in the best possible shape. You know, it's funny. This is one of the reasons why I like having you on, um, because there were so many people who were quick to dismiss John's weight gain, right? And I don't think it's a huge deal. I don't think it's a, a huge deal at all, but context matters. And there's so many people locally now, I feel like they've become wizard shills, right? And it's good to have an intelligent dialogue and be objective about what we're seeing with this team. And yeah, he gained extra weight in this offseason in, in a vacuum. That's not a big deal. But provided all the context that we have, you know, we know John struggles with his weight. And when you look at his contemporaries, the people that Wizards fans and members of the media always compare John to, Russell Westbrook is never out of shape. He's in shape. Year, he looks like a bodybuilder year round. Steph Curry is never out of shape. Damian Lillard, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, yeah, John will be able to get back in shape by the time the season starts. We all know that. We've seen it happen before. We see his intense workout uh, regimen. But the, the the question is, at what cost? You you brought up, you know, the knees and, you know, the, his weight fluctuating. And I'm, and I'm just thinking to myself, imagine if John had a, a strict diet that he – that he stuck by year round, you know, yes, we know he could get himself back into shape by the season, but if he took his dieting more serious, imagine how much better he possibly could be because he wouldn't be working his body so tirelessly in the off season, just trying to get back into shape. Right. No, I mean, I, I think that you brought up the, the key term in all of this. I would probably say that the dieting aspect is probably the, the, the biggest thing with, you know, keeping your weight down and staying in shape. Like, I don't think anybody questions his work ethic and saying that he, you know, doesn't work out in the summer. We all see, you know, right. he posts he posts videos all the time. He's got, you know, his own, you know, uh, docu series on Baller's life where you know he's training. He's he's even got my man Flav training with <laughs> him in the videos. So yep. you know, I, I think that the diet aspect, but you know, with, with some athletes where we were talking about, you know, the Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving, they, you know, they've gone vegan. Now, yeah. as a brother who enjoys a good steak and, and bacon in the morning for breakfast, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to sit up here and tell the man to go vegan in order to play basketball. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that with John, I think that, like you said, that it, it, we got to the point where the conversation, it can't be even had objectively about, you know, whether he has, you know, the weight problems or, or whether that might be affecting his game. And, you know, honestly, like I said, I think he's been in probably with some of the best shape that he's been of in recent times. Right, and I think honestly, there was that picture. I think that was just a bad picture yeah. in, in general. Um, I, I actually had a chance to look at the other players' headshots, and they all all of the pictures look bad. Everybody's face looked kind of bloated, and it's like it's like the guy didn't. He, I don't know. It, I feel like Twitter users with iPhone tens could have done a better job <laughs> of taking the picture right. in general, right. and it would have it would have just and and I, I think where where you're going to go with the conversation is that when people are going left with it and, and you know, it, it becomes something different other than, okay, just regular just about, okay, he looks a little puffy. Or, right. you know, it, it's like, oh, what's up with his hair? What's up with this? Like, right. You know, I think some of that stuff is, is you know, can be brought into question. Once again, guys, I'm joined by one of my favorite guests that we have on the show, Troy Halliburton, man. He covers the Wizards for truthaboutit.net. It's one of the best people locally who does cover the Wizards inside and out. It gives you great insight and Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Halliburton. He's got a really fun follow, sports 
entertainment, television, the whole nine. And we're going to get to the entertainment aspect of the interview in a second. But you just gave me a great alley-oop, perfect segue. Um, you know, the NBA community is, especially on Twitter, is very influential, right? Um, and when the picture first posted, everyone in within, or not everyone, but many people within the NBA community, um, we had fun with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what, we, that's what we do. You see something, you get your jokes off. And it's all love. It was just John's time to kind of be the, the to get the brunt of the, the, the jokes. But because this community is, is very influential, especially on Twitter, after a while, it then be, grew, right? And now a community that was having fun with the picture, it then touched all these other groups of people who were making fun of the picture and making fun of John. But it was it became extremely uncomfortable. I was seeing people talk about his hair, uh, his features. Then it started going on DeMar DeRozan and, and Andre Drummond and other guys who have just, you know, a natural hair and a natural look to themselves. And then I was like, okay, we were having fun for a good hour. And now, now so many other hands are in it. And now not only was it not fun, I became uncomfortable and even defensive. I was having jokes at John's ex this expense. And now I was defending him because some of the stuff, at least in my opinion, crossed the line. Am I reading that wrong, or did you feel some of that as well? I, I, I definitely get some of that perception. And it's just, like you said, the problem is when you have there, – there's a disconnect between people who are of the culture and can, and can talk about these things, and then there are people who – because, you know, it has nothing to do with race. There are, you know, cool basketball right. writers. I know that there's you no know, white guys or Asian guys, and, you know, they can talk about things, and they can have – jokes and you know they because they're of the culture and they understand the lingo the language but then right. when you have you know other people who may not you know be as familiar with the culture but they see people participating in things on the internet they try to jump in and it kind of it just doesn't really play as much in front of that audience you know so i i and i and i honestly don't think that there was a lot of malicious intent behind people People yeah. comments about they people really they you get caught up you think you're making a joke and then the joke just doesn't play because you really don't understand or you might be using terminology that you don't understand or you know and when we're talking about the hair thing I think that you know that's a big deal like and as far as like just black men in general like oh you can't you feel like you gotta have your hair cut really low low instead yeah. of being able to express yourself like you know a lot of people are now you know people that they, they get the twist they get the John Walls got the cornrows now he's bringing that right. back. <laughs> so you know it, it's just it's just different where people don't really understand that you know but i think you know i i i, I think that people once they realize and as soon as you you know you throw a couple side eye emojis at them on the internet they, yeah. they'll delete those tweets so fast because you know they, they they might not understand how you know how we you know we just really we just roasting on each other that's uh, right. that's just a part of what we do yeah man like if we cool, I expect you to, to go on me. That, that's kind of how we grew up. You know what I'm saying? If I got love for you, best believe I'm saving my best jokes for you just in case. You know what I'm saying? That's just kind of how we show love. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Troy Halliburton. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Troy Halliburton. Writes for truthaboutit.net. His most recent piece is on the Dwight Howard press conference and signing. Make sure you check it out again on truthaboutit.net. And Troy, it's uh, it's funny because I feel like over the last better part of a decade, the NBA has grown into a truly year-long sport. It's one of the reasons I feel 
that the, the sport in the league continues to ascend um, where free agency, and it's not to compare it versus the playoffs or the regular season, but free agency in the NBA is just its own entity. And this year, uh, the Clint Capella signing seems to be the last move of a, of a big time piece, right? He resigned in Houston for, I want to say five years, $90 million. Um, so knowing how valuable he is to Houston and knowing that Houston literally was one hamstring away from playing in the finals, possibly winning a championship. What do you think of the signing? And, you know, Carmelo Anthony gets all the attention when it comes to the Rockets, but they've been busy. They've had a lot of moves, a lot of uh, turnover. What do you think this does for Houston moving forward? Well, I feel, honestly, I think that it was, it was obviously a great signing by the, it's from the Houston Rockets standpoint because they get arguably one of the best centers in the NBA at right. a, a discounted price. You know, so five years, 90, that uh, averages out to only $18 million a year. Yeah. <laughs> and you have some of his contemporaries who are making a little bit more, or, just, or you have contemporaries who are making almost just as much as him, like Mozgov and, and Jan Mahimi, and who aren't nearly as good as him. Right. So I think that the big man market really kind of, kind of the walls just kind of caved in on him, and he kind of got squeezed in the middle to no fault of his own. I think that the mm-hmm. big man market – the, way, the reason why the value has gone down is because of some of those bloated contracts that I mentioned right. earlier. So, you know, those contracts from two years ago, and it wasn't just him. There, there weren't big men in general getting paid a lot of money. So right. I think that, you know, from the Rockets' standpoint, they, you know, they solidified their center position for the next five years because he's still, you know, a young player who right. can only get better at, at, a, at a reasonable price. So, you know, that he's not, you know, uh, leaving the franchise hamstrung. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was good value uh, as far as the market goes. I don't really expect how people could have thought that he could have gotten more. And I think uh, 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 our my good friend Chase Hughes, he had a discussion about this on Twitter the other day, and he brought up, you know, the Otto Porter contract. But it's like, well, Otto Porter, he plays the wing. It's a completely different position. Yeah, exactly. and it's like comparing apples to oranges. And, and honestly, Otto Porter had other offer sheets. He had an offer sheet from Brooklyn. You know, he yeah. had an offer sheet out there from Sacramento. And, you know, Capella, you know, as, as quite, he didn't have it. There was, there was literally no other offers for him. So, you know, in that situation, Houston had a lot of leverage. It's not like, it's not like he got, you know, Phoenix to offer him $25 right. million dollars a year and they had to match it. Like that, his offer sheet didn't exist. Yeah, I saw that, that back and forth with you and Chase. Shout out to Chase Hughes. Um, and I agree, like, the market was the, the biggest factor uh, between – Otto and Capella. Capella, you know, I mean, Otto has strength. He has the ability to guard twos, threes, and some fours and has the ability to play small ball power forward, whereas Capella, you know, his style, extremely productive. I think championship teams would be wise to have someone like him and would make him fit, but he just doesn't have the versatility. So comparing him to Otto doesn't really seem like a a, a perfect comparison. But I want to touch on another thing because, um, you know, a lot of people were caught off guard by the, the relative small contract, relatively speaking, that Capella signed, noting how productive and how much of a, a significant player he is. Um, I want to say it was Bomani Jones, who I first saw on Twitter, tweet this. Um, and a lot of people have kind of followed suit. Are you surprised that more players, when in this position, you know, this market this year, 
wasn't the best. But next season, more teams have money. The cap is going to increase again. So the teams who do have money, they have more of it. Are you surprised that Capella and more players in general don't just end up playing for their qualifying offer and then reach actual true free agency in a year? No, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I'm going to tell you why. Because um, I, I honestly believe that the the players that you were just thinking about it from a real life perspective. You know, right. these are people, and they're, they're throwing these contracts at them. You're looking for security, and right. these guys. You know, Clint Capella's coming off of his rookie contract, so it's yeah. not like he's made a ton of money in the NBA so far. It's right. like, and there, I think that there have been too many cases of situations where people. You know, you oh, I'm gonna play for the offer, and then you end up like Maryland's Noel, and you end up right. you know signing for the minimum. Yeah. You know, I think it, you got to strike when the iron is hot, and everybody's looking for that that long term security. So like James Harden, when they asked him about the Capella signing, he said that five year, ninety million dollar contract. He said, you know, that's generational wealth, so that people, his family can have money for generations. You know, five years, ninety million dollars. And sometimes, as a real life person, like you, you, you got to say. All right, you know I'm still young. I could, I could, I could drive him a hard bargain on my next contract when I'm 27. But for right. right now, let me just take that money. And I think, you know, when you put the money, and same thing with Marcus Smart. You know, Marcus Smart could have played for a qualifying offer and tried to go out next summer and make 18 million or 20 million. But you know what? He said, you know, uh, Boston, give me my four years, 50. You know, I, I'll go ahead and play, <laughs> give you a little discount. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that he because he's thinking to himself, you know, fifty million dollars in guaranteed money. You know, that's 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 not something that you can just like assume that you're gonna be able to just recreate every year. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy Troy Halliburton, writer for TruthAboutIt.net. Make sure you check out his most recent piece about the Dwight Howard press conference and the signing overall. Um, also, follow him on Twitter. He's at Troy Halliburton. Really dope follow. Really fun follow. Touches on a lot of different things, not just the Wizards in the NBA, but a bunch of wide-ranging topics, including music. And this is where we'll end our conversation. Um, last time you were on the show, man, we had a, a really fun time talking about Drake versus Pusha. It was about a month and a half, two months ago. And that was just specifically about their little beef. But if you want to kind of widen the range of the, the topic, you know, this summer, so many acts released music and not just acts but like big time musicians groups um whether it was jay-z and beyonce uh drake uh j cole the list kanye the list goes on and on. the list goes on and on and on um you know growing up summer whoever had the best album or the best songs of the summer man that was like the soundtrack of your life really so, you know, who has the best album of the summer? That, that means a lot. At least it does to me. So with the crowded field this past summer, and we're at the beginning of August now, so a little over 30 more days left, how would you rank or who would you say has released the best material in summer 2018? All right. For the summer, I'd say the, well, the best project, the project that I find myself going back, listening to the most, listening to in my car, listening to on my walk, on my workout, it has to be a uh, uh, Pusha T Daytona. Yeah. That's that's been the album that I've gone back to the most. Right. Now, I'm not gonna sit up here and and say that Drake's album has probably been as far as like socially going out. 
I mean, you can't hear it. You can't go anywhere without hearing in, in my feelings, right? Right. Now. Yo, Bama's getting hit by cars trying to do the dance. Bama's losing their minds to that song. Exactly. And I'm not going to lie. When it, when it comes on at the party, like, hey, I'm not yeah. going to dance, but I'm going to be right there and get my, get my two-step on. Two-step. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't deny Drake for what he, what he does as far as his hit-making ability. Um, if you ask me what I'm listening to, currently I'm listening to, uh, since we live in the day and age or whatever you've done for me lately, I'm listening to the Internet album, yeah. uh, Hive Mind. That's that that but that's more of an R and B kind of soulful type of feel. Um, yeah. I liked I liked the uh, the Beyonce Jay Z album even though it was the type of music that was very fleeting because I don't feel like it has a ton of replay value. So it was like it was good when I first listened to it and I don't have a problem with it. But I I don't imagine I can't imagine myself you know in 2020 going back to uh, you know pull throw throw on ape shit you know that's. That, that, that's just not something I think, but but like as far but the Daytona album, the Pusha T, I feel like you know that's the type of music where it's literally you know it's kind of uh, timeless, it's classic. Yeah. Like you know I I could have I could have seen myself listening to this ten years ago. I could listen to it now, and I'll probably still want to listen to it ten years from now. Slim, you ain't lying, Joe. I feel like maybe it's just me getting older, but I feel like nowadays people do make songs that have a, a short like replay value, you know what I'm saying? Or albums where yeah, it's like fast food, you know what I'm saying? Like you could be starving and you're like, you know what? Let me go ahead and get this McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever, whatever. And it hits the spot for that time being. But then in a day, maybe two days, you realize like, yo, why the hell did I eat that? You know what I'm saying? That's what I feel like music has, has gotten to now. Um, but you're right. Like Daytona, you know, we're like at the 22 year anniversary, 23 year anniversary of riding dirty an album that you can play even now. And I feel like Daytona is a breath of fresh air. Like you can, you can listen to that and you can like hear it and you can imagine yourself like, yo, I'll be five years, six, seven years later. And I still would want to listen to this. And, uh, I just don't feel like we make enough music like that, especially in hip hop specifically. Um, but the one small criticism I have with Daytona, it's like, bro, you could have gave us like two, three more songs, man. Like, cause I don't know. I, I can't really put it in the classic group because I feel like he cheated a little bit cause it was only seven songs, but looking at his summer specifically, it was clear. He had more to say. He wanted to say more. And I just wish he would have just gave us two or three more songs. I completely understand. You know, he gave us seven songs, but you know, but when you add on the story of Adidon, that was almost right. like ten right there. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> I give him credit for five bangers right there. You know, right, so, right. <laughs> but but, uh, but no. no, I understand exactly what you said. I think that you know, I think that that really kind of messed up the good music rollout. That whole seven song concept. You know, yeah. but Kanye is the one who came up with it, and I think in theory, you know, maybe for certain people's projects, maybe uh, you know, because that Cuddy. The Cuddy, the joint, joint between him and Cuddy, yeah. I can understand. I can see that being seven songs. Seven. I was perfectly good with yeah. that seven. You know, I would have rather had four Kanye songs, to be honest, <laughs> for all of his album. Right. But uh, I think that that, I mean, and, I mean, we have to talk about that whole rollout because that was a major, you know, part of the summer. You know, he first of all, he completely bungled T uh, Tiana Taylor's Tiana whole Taylor. album. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I'm a really big Tiana Taylor fan, and I've been waiting for her to, you know, kind of blow up to kind of get into that that scissor uh, spot yeah. that you know that she uh, said that, that I yeah. feel like she kind of deserves as a female R and B singer. And right. you know, I think that Kanye, 
I, he has so much stuff going on in his life, but beyond, uh, you know, making music that he kind of messed up, but he messed up the Nas rollout. You know, I like the Nas album. It's cool. Yeah. You know, but I think that it could have been better. So this, what 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 was already a great music summer, like, or was already a, a pretty decent music summer, wasn't really as great as it should have been because of good music as an entity. And to your internet point, I try hard. I'm super cautious about jumping out there, ODing, saying something is great when it just came out. And the internet, they just put that thing out about, what, two, maybe three weeks ago now? But Slim, I love Hive Mind, man. I love I love everything about the internet. Like, they, they're in their own lane. There's a group. They're bringing their own instrumentation to the, the field. Um, they're throwback in many ways, but they're so progressive for, you know, more than just a few reasons, honestly. Um, and Hive Mind works, man, for just a wide range of moods. You know what I mean? Like, I love Hive Mind so much. I, I, I want to say it's my favorite album of the summer, but because it's only been out for a, f- a few weeks, I'm hesitant. But I, I kind of want to say that. No, I understand, I understand exactly what you mean, because the internet to me, okay, so they are they are similar to The Roots, but they I feel like a lot of their inspiration goes back even further than The Roots. It's like a lot of this stuff is like such bass in that funk. Yeah. So it's like I love the Burbank funk, uh, that, that, that whole movement that, that's kind of coming back into the music scene and you know they have like that neo soul type of feel to it as well but they also you know they use a little bit of electronic you know stuff in there so this it's, it's you getting almost like three different eras of music yeah kind of encapsulated into one and then i think you know sid the kid you know she's got the, the voice of an angel um, and a crazy I, voice yeah crazy voice. her voice is so distinct it's like as soon as you hear her uh appear on a track you know, okay, oh, that's Sid, because it's a, it's a very distinct pitch. And, and, I, and I, I even like the fact that so on their first album, uh, on, the, on the Ego Death, they had uh, Sid pretty much sung all of the songs. But on this one, right. you know, she's letting the guys, you know, get their shine on. So, like, the Burbank, she doesn't even have vocals on uh, Burbank Funk. Right. And I think that that's good that we're getting a chance to, you know, get more uh, – instrumentation from or more like basically more participation from the rest of the group members but yeah Yeah. i'm with you the internet is i try to put people on as much as possible you know i've you know i've been on them since like i said since when i first saw the video for a girl you know i was i I was in love with that band so that that's i will always ride with you on that (laughs) yeah no doubt once again guys this has been my guy troy halliburton make sure you follow him on twitter he's at troy halliburton that's h-a-l-i-b-u-r writes for truthaboutit.net check out his most recent piece on the dwight howard signing and his press conference and what it all means for the wizards it's a really dope writer better guest and even a better follow on twitter so make sure you guys check all his stuff out as always, Troy, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and rocking with me this week. Hey, man, I appreciate it, Armand, man. I always, and like I said, man, it's a, it's a great honor to always be on, especially to talk about things that's not even basketball related. You know, yeah. music, that's, that's my specialty right there. So <laughs> it's always a pleasure to come on with you, man. Yo, shout out to Troy. I'm saying that's a hell of a guest right there, yo. Shout out to Troy. But think about the show, man. Shout out to the show and shout out to each and every one of you all for listening. We've talked about the NFL. We've talked about Blackish. You understand? We've talked about the album of the year and John Wall's picture. What could we possibly have left to discuss 
for our fourth topic this week? Well, there's only one way to find out. Let's go. Fourth quarter. Shout out to all my boxing heads out there, man, because I promise you this fourth quarter was going to be about boxing. I haven't talked about boxing in a while, and there's been so much going on. Uh, specifically last weekend with Mikey Garcia becoming a unified lightweight champion, which is a huge accomplishment. I want to say it's the first time that's ever happened, which is crazy when you think about it. And then him saying, nah, forget that. I'm going to move up two weight classes to fight the best welterweight at 147 in the world and Errol Spence in December. So naturally, I'm not going to talk about boxing. But to all my boxing heads out there, I know y'all listen to the show in part because we do talk about boxing. Don't worry. When I get back in two weeks for the next show, we will have plenty to discuss in the square circle because September is going to be a hell of a month, obviously. And the way the sport is going to close the year, it seems, is very dope. So boxing heads, no need to fret. We will talk about the sweet science in two weeks and probably throughout the rest of 2018. But I had to call an audible on Monday in regards to the fourth quarter because of LeBron, Joe. Like, I don't care what you think about LeBron on the court. You feel me? And I've made it clear that there are things that LeBron does from a basketball perspective that annoys me. He's too damn big to whine and, and beg for fouls. He, st- he quits on plays, getting back on defense. Sometimes he doesn't rotate and he'll look at his teammate and say that they needed to be doing something. All of these things are issues that I have with the player LeBron. And I say that as the one of the biggest LeBron James fans as a basketball player. LeBron James is my favorite basketball player of all time. But what he did this week, man, the I Promise School, like, I don't know if there are words to properly illustrate just how dope that is man like we live in a world like and i'm gonna talk you know what let's let's talk about it now i was gonna wait to get to this point but let's let's go ahead and do it let's really unpack this situation man i've made uh, a note of this a few times on this show about how i just can't stand this like this culture that we've we've bred for ourselves right this 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 culture, this environment of debating, embracing debate, debate culture, everything has to be a debate. You know what I'm saying? Like cable news has spun off into just debating for long, long-winded segments. And then it doesn't stop at cable news because now it's on your local news. You just have a bunch of people who have differing opinions. Some of the people will be arguing things that we know are untrue. Like we can factually point that you are lying to us yet they still have a platform to argue. And that has become a ratings monster. And then that has set, like seeped into our sports where like there are countless television shows where you just have a number of people argue. And it's not because someone is going to convince you because we have now been conditioned so much that no one can change your mind. You just, you draw a line in the stand and you just stay there no matter how well, someone can articulate their point, no matter how many times that they can prove that you are lying or or saying things that are not factual, this culture that we have made, right, just lends itself to arguing and arguing and arguing about anything. And on Monday, I can't tell y'all how disgusted I was, Joe. 
for a number of reasons. You can think, like myself, that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And that's fine. Acting as if LeBron James and what he does outside of basketball makes a case one way or the other is so problematic, bro. Because what you end up doing is trivializing something that is significant. Like there were like, there were like talking points on television shows. Does LeBron James in school make him the greatest basketball player of all time? And people tweeted that out. That was an actual discussion, talking point. And I'm like, you understand in the culture that we have made that you are now using something that should be applauded universally as something that people will just naturally argue because you have put it in a point or positioned it as a, a way to, to say that LeBron is better or LeBron is worse than another great player. You see what I'm saying? You see how reckless that is? Something that should just be like, yo, this is dope. Doesn't matter your political belief. Doesn't matter if you think Jordan is better. Doesn't matter if you think Kobe is better. Doesn't matter if you're not a fan of LeBron. He is putting his money up, not just for children, but for their parents in his community. When we talk about the American dream, I don't know how anything can top LeBron. In every way in which we define America, right? Whether we're talking about capitalism, look at the money. Whether we're talking about coming from nothing, from something, think about it. How American, how we as Americans have now just embraced celebrity, gone head over heels on just how famous you are, right? How we've, I mean, everything that you can check off, good and bad, that is synonymous with our country. LeBron checks it off. And the most amazing thing is, this is a guy who may not even know his father, who was homeless, going to school, couldn't go to school for many days of the, for many days in consecutive years, sleeping in friends' homes, in the car, now has his own school where he's providing scholarships. I remember it's not that long ago, bro, where people killed him for the decision. And there was, I mean, we were so cynical. People were like, oh man, he had the decision. And who cares if he, you know, did it and all the proceeds went to the Boys and Girls Club. He could have just wrote a check. And what people failed to re realize is that LeBron just standing by the Boys and Girls Club, just having them be attached to him. They have generated, I, mean, I, saw, I remember back when it happened, they said that year, was it 2010 or 2011, they generated more money for the Boys and Girls Club than they had the previous 10 years combined. Something along those lines. So LeBron has always stood up and, and has done things for his community. You know, but people, for whatever reason, just didn't want to embrace it. And now that it's like universal, people who don't like LeBron James didn't even talk about it. Sports hosts who make a, a, a living bashing LeBron just, you know, punted on that topic. But then it got ugly because then it's like, OK, well, LeBron does more than Michael Jordan off the field or off the court. And that's not true either. Like we can't be so 
You see what I'm saying? Like something that should just be applauded universally then becomes divisive because then people are like, well, Michael Jordan never did this, which isn't true. Michael Jordan is an extremely philanthropic person. Extremely. He just doesn't. We all know that LeBron has been willing to step forward and go out of his way to speak on equality issues and social justice and things that affect certain communities, black communities, brown communities, in a way that Michael Jordan never was. That doesn't mean that Michael Jordan didn't do things. He just went about it a completely different way. And we have to respect everyone's opinion. You may not agree with Michael Jordan. I mean, there's a quote now that most people have debunked and said that Jordan never said the whole Republicans buy sneakers too. More people have said that that actually isn't even a quote that Jordan said, but has been attached to him for decades. Now, Michael Jordan didn't go out of his way to speak on controversial topics. We know that. And that's fine. I don't want every athlete to be Muhammad Ali. That makes me appreciate the Muhammad Ali's and the Bill Russell's and the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's even more. Everyone's not going to be LeBron. LeBron has found comfort in attaching himself to certain causes. And God bless him. Because I think that is important when you have the platform that LeBron James has and to address certain things. It makes people uncomfortable, but it makes people uncomfortable because they're afraid to grow. You feel me? So God bless LeBron. Not just for his school, but for taking that baton that has been passed down from Ali, God bless the dead, to Bill and Kareem. You know what I'm saying? Tommy Smith, John Carlo. And LeBron has, among other people. And that has also bothered me. Because LeBron got a lot of praise on Monday, rightfully so. And then there were people who were like, the what about it? Damn, them bombers like cricket, Slim. The cicadas, you know how the cicadas come every 20 some odd years and then they're just everywhere? The what about it's Them bamas are cicadas. They are the real life human version of these damn insects who just pop up at any at a moment's notice. Like, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? LeBron James opened his school on Monday. He was getting credit for what he did on Monday. So the Jalen Roses of the world, and the what about Jalen's, and what about Andre Agassi's, and the what about David Robinson's, and what about, and what about, and what about? That's dope what they're doing too. So if you want to take time to be like, well, let's also highlight other people who have done charter schools or work in the communities and opening these schools, public charter or whatever. Cool. You can do that. But then going out of your way to be like, well, LeBron isn't the first to do it. What about him? What about that? Slim, you such a hater. And like, again, it all stems back to this culture that we have created where everything has to be a debate. Why? Why on the day that LeBron James opens his school must we be like, well, LeBron isn't the first who did it. Why is LeBron getting so much credit? Jalen Rose got on television and was like, bro, LeBron is just a Michael Jackson. He didn't create the moonwalk. You know, I was doing it first. David Robinson and Andre Agassi and this athlete here were doing it first. We did this first. Bro, why are we even doing that, Slim? You feel me? Like, because then that makes me think, like, you're, you're doing it 
and I know this isn't the truth, right? I know this isn't the case with Jalen. I know he did it out of the goodness uh, and the kindness of his own heart. But when you go on television and saying, well, what about me? Then that makes it appear that you're doing it for attention and not for the actual benefit and the actual, you know, positivity that you're bringing to children's lives. And I know it's unfair to pinpoint Jalen as that, but he got on television and put himself in that story. And I was, it just brought me the wrong way. You didn't hear David Robinson say, well, what about me? David Robinson has had his schools for decades. You haven't heard Andre Agassi say a word. And it's also important to note that shout out to Jalen Rose, an amazing athlete, right? He's part of one of the most uh, influential and profound sporting entities of the last 50 years with the Fab Five. And it had a successful NBA career. Shout out to David Robinson, rookie of the year, dream team member, multiple time NBA champion, MVP, scoring champion. Shout out to Andre Agassi, one of the greatest American tennis players of all time. All of these men, great on the court, on the field, wherever they play and have done great things off of it. But to compare either of them to LeBron James in terms of status and stature and fame is ridiculous. Of course, LeBron is going to get more coverage than Andre Agassi or Jalen Rose. He's a bigger star. You understand what I'm saying? If Beyonce does something that's huge and then, you know, the the, the lead singer of your local go-go band did the same thing, of course Beyonce is going to get more coverage. You understand what I'm saying? George Clooney can do something that an extra or Bokeem Woodmine could do. You feel me? Who's going to get more coverage? The bigger star, man. Like, we can't be this obtuse. Like, we can't be. And I know that we're not. It's just because we have been conditioned by ourselves to debate everything. And, man, that's got to stop, bro. We got to be better than that. There are real-life things going on. LeBron, Jalen, Agassi, David Robinson, and a list of other people are going out of their way, putting their money, their time, and their energy into topics that are seriously addressing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And they all deserve to be applauded. But this whole what about is a thing, man. Or this whole, well, this makes LeBron greater than Jordan. Stop it. Stop it, Joe, because we're trivializing things. We have, we don't even know. We don't even know the harm that we're doing. Because we. this is all around us now. No perspective anymore. We're so used to debating Michael Jordan and LeBron James that we're going to debate who does what with their money and their philanthropy. No, because both of them do great things. They just do it differently, and that's cool. But, man, when I saw that on Monday, I was like, man, what the hell are we doing now? What are we doing? Because this can't be real life anymore. <laughs> you understand? This can't be real anymore. Make no mistake, this has been real. This has been a real-ass episode, episode 67 of the Quarterly Report. Thank you to everyone 
who listens each and every week. I will be going on vacation, so there will not be another episode next week. But don't worry. We got 67 shows, so 66 of them y'all can listen. Run it back. If you haven't listened to every episode, take this time out to do it, man. We've had dope guests, dope skits, dope halftime, dope segments, everything. And the shows keep on getting better and better. I want to thank my guest this week, Troy Halliburton. Again, follow him on Twitter at Troy Halliburton. Super dope guy, super dope fun follow, and he knows his NBA and entertainment. Check him out at truthaboutit.net. Also, I want to thank each and every one of you all for listening. And while we have a week off, make sure you go on over to Twitter. Tweet us at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Email us at Quarterly Report at Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Report at gmail.com. Head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, wherever you listen to podcasts, Google Play as well. Download and subscribe. And on Apple, make sure you guys leave a review and a five-star review. Give me five stars and tell the world, tell me, tell everyone what you love about the Quarterly Report. Again, guys, I'm going to be off for next week, but don't worry. We'll be back in two weeks for another episode of the Quarterly Report.